Welcome to the Team Packed Podcast with your hosts, Jessica McIntyre and Quentin Cools. We hope to inspire you to think critically and biblically about current issues facing our culture, challenge you to make a difference in your community, and ultimately change the world. Hey, Team Pack Podcast listeners. My name is Quinn Cools, and I am here with Mike Johnny. Uh, Mike, you want to say hey? Hey, Quinn, and hey, Team Pack Podcast listeners. Yeah. It's fun to be together. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. So um, you spoke at National Convention on Tuesday. You were actually our opening speaker and did a phenomenal job. Thank you so much for serving us in that way. That's right. Um, yeah, of course. I loved how you spoke not only to the students, but also to the the parents and chaperones who were present. I think that meant a lot. I was actually sitting up in the balcony with them and was hearing a lot of amens and yes, this is so good. And um, so that was, that was a real pleasure. Our goal here is just to kind of unpack a little bit more for those who were present at national convention, those perhaps who um, went and watched on the live stream or, or see it on YouTube later, um, some of what you unpacked in your, in your message um, on the day's theme that we belong to God, belonging to God. And, and for starters, could you just kind of describe the passage of scripture that you chose? Um, I'm curious, um, maybe what led to that development, and then we'll kind of get into what you discussed. Yeah, when we had originally talked about the first session being like, let's set this foundation of what does it mean to belong to God? I wanted to give a picture that wasn't just theological, but also emotive. Like, what would it feel like for me, you, any of us who don't naturally belong to God to receive the type of mercy that makes us have a seat at the table? And so the more I started to kind of thinking through text, when I got to that Mephibosheth text, it was like, man, so to, to catch up, if you didn't hear, um, I, talk, I told the story of David wanting to do something kind for somebody in Saul's house. And the, son, the grandson, Mephibosheth of Saul, is the person he chooses to do that towards. And, and so just a really great picture of uh, undeserved kindness and mercy. Yeah, and having uh, studied preaching and um, kind of exegesis and so forth, I really enjoy listening to somebody teach where their their opening kind of introduction I know is is probably intended to drive toward a particular end. And and when I realized that this whole story was going to be what you were unpacking, I was just like, this is perfect. Like, this was really, really good. Um, and especially for some of our students as, as they're growing up in faith and taking faith seriously and walking with the Lord, even pulling from a, a, a less well-known passage in the Old Testament, I think even shapes kind of their understanding of the word and how it's meant to shape their lives. So I really appreciate that. In the first section, you talked about how David had this kindness. Um, you know, he's, he's at the top of his um, kind of kingdom. He's on the throne, you know, not at war at the time. And he, and he chooses to show kindness and he's seeking out somebody from Saul's household. And it occurred to me as I was listening to you that in a story like that, we tend to think of ourselves perhaps as the hero of the story. Um, in this case, maybe David, I guess, where he's the one doing the good thing for someone less deserving. And I just kind of wanted to think about that with you. Do you find that in your ministry? Uh, you're, you're, you're pastoring down in Southern California. Um, obviously, you've had a lot of other pastoral experience and just life experience. But, you know, when, when you're dealing with believers, um, do you find that we tend to, to do that where we put ourselves more in the, in the hero spot than in the broken legs, 
needing mercy person spot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So two things, you, you, you made a statement about helping students see the scriptures, especially from an old Testament passage. And yeah, I want them to see that everything always points to Jesus. And I think there's always this danger, especially with David. Everybody wants to be David. Everybody sees themselves as the giant slayer. Yeah. So that just kind of continues to, to roll forward. But I was also thinking about, I'm in a room full of leaders um, either leaders where they are or leaders where they're going to be in the future. And so the natural tendency is like, okay, yeah, how do I be a good David? When the reality is we all start as Mephibosheth. We all start in the need of, of the mercy of the king. So it, it was uh, it was kind of a cool swerve, kind of an untended irony. In, yeah, in kind right. Of the story. Totally, totally. And, and you get that phrase that I don't think is maybe even Christian, but the whole kill him with kindness. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was going through my head and I was like, that's that's not what's going on here. He's, yeah. he's not trying to, you know, shove this in this guy's face. He's act, he's genuinely trying to show him kindness and mercy and this hesed, and we'll get into that idea. But I first wanted to just kind of identify that where are we in the story? Like that, yeah. we're not the person that is exuding this somehow good, kind, uh, outreach to neighbor. Like, no, no, no. To begin with, we are Mephibosheth. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's really good. So one of the things that really was helpful um, and I've tried to incorporate this into some of my ministry and teaching is the difference between guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. Could you kind of explain that to our listeners? Yeah. Guilt speaks more directly to action. I did something wrong. So uh, illustration from the message was I talked about getting a ticket and I, I sped, I drove faster than I should have. I am guilty, but shame goes past what you've done and goes into who you are. Um, and it's a really kind of weird dichotomy because I think a lot of times the way we present ourselves to the world is I do this. So guilt should be easier to grasp, but we're not as good about who I am at my core and shame is what speaks to that. And so helping people to see, hey, can, we can be honest about our guilt, but Jesus removes our shame. Uh, it, it actually seems more obvious than what it actually is, I think, even in my own heart. Sure. So is I, I feel like with... Um with guilt, like you talked about the doctrine of justification and that, that is a definitive moment, um, in, in the, in, in regeneration where God says, no, you are justified by the basis of Jesus' blood. You're justified. But it seems like shame is maybe just an, a more ongoing struggle. Um, and it's something that our young people deal with, um, at all of our events quite often. So we have, um, evening times, which we call rendezvous, um, where students will gather with, um, with same gender students from their hall and they'll just have kind of a, a debrief on the day. And sometimes they'll just ask about kind of, Hey, how, how's life back home and how can we be praying for each other? And oftentimes those sorts of kind of identity questions come up of, of just feeling the anxiety and weight of maybe it's past decisions or things going on in their life. So how in your pastoral experience have you encouraged people to kind of deal with the shame side? Is that connected to the guilt um, or do you find that people just accept that, okay, I'm, I'm not guilty anymore, but I'm still under this shame thing? Like how, how has that played out for you? Yeah, man, that's a great question. So one, I, I think always taking people back to the roots of where shame comes from, right? Like, so if you go all the way back to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve's response to their sin is that they go hide themselves because they're ashamed. And so there's something that internal goes past, hey, I did something wrong to, I am something wrong. Mm, so okay. I try to help people find the roots. Like, like what makes you think that this thing that you've done has somehow changed your standing before the Lord? 
Um, now, obviously, somebody who hasn't accepted Jesus yet, that's a completely different conversation. But walking with believers, it's like like you realize that Jesus will never love you any more or any less. Hmm. And so if that's the case, then what you did, we can be really open about it, where shame has this this hidden component to it. Yeah. So always fa- fighting that, that hiding, that running away. Uh, one of my mentors uh, used to always say it this way, that maturity comes when you run towards the cross, not away from it. Hmm. And so instead of hiding things, instead of running moving towards bringing to light actions removes the shame that kind of seems to be like the, the shadow behind the action. Okay. Yeah, that's really good. I wonder if in a lot of churches, and this might be true of my experience, I'm trying to think in the moment, um, you know, when we were, we're good, especially in a, a lot of the, a lot of churches today have kind of refound the importance of being gospel centered. And I praise the Lord for that. Right. Um, but in sharing the gospel in a, in a given sermon context or something like that, do you think that we tend to emphasize more on the guilt side, on the justification side? And it feels like the shame stuff is, is more counseling. It's more like working in, you know, in the trenches with people in kind of their day-to-day constant struggle. Um, I don't know. Could you kind of speak to how, how do we, as a body of believers, work through some of those elements because I, I feel like that's a consistent theme for our students. Um, just once, once they grasp that part and God gives them that freedom from shame and just the confidence that's theirs in Christ, like you see their leadership just totally shine. Like it's beautiful to see, but sometimes it takes a really, really long time. And sometimes students come and go through our program without experiencing that. And that, that's a burden that team pack leaders really share. And I'm sure you share for your people too. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that the church can do better, and, and I hope that I'm growing in, is shining a line on, light on it. Like speaking to it from a, not a, okay, there's this theoretical thing that you feel like you're not worthy of because of, but like, hey, here's where I battle that. Here's yeah, where I feel okay. That. Because I think when somebody who has been given some measure of spiritual authority could say, hey, I have things too that I feel shameful about, and yet I know that the Lord can still use me and has forgiven me, it's like, Oh, you know, one of the things that I've loved so far about Team Pact is it's cool to watch, you know, 18 year olds that are like leading sessions because it's like, okay, you're not so far from me. Yep. And I feel like the, the kind of spiritual facade that we've put is, hey, if you go, you're on a face on a stage with a face mic, you must be perfect as opposed to, no, I'm really broken. I'm really busted up and, and not like theoretically, you know, uh, I'm a sports guy. So not like Michael Jordan, the flu game where like, man, look what happened to me. Back yes. in the day. But it's like, yes. no, I'm really in this right now and it's hard, but the mercy of Jesus is true for me. So it's safe for you to come on in. Mm. And I think even just starting to have that conversation says, Hey, you're not that far from me. Um, you, I, you're actually really similar to where I'm at. And so I can trust the Lord and how I navigate that. So that's been helpful for me. That's awesome. It, I love how you started um, our conversation talking about, you know, something that something that would be biblically relevant to this topic, um, but also something that would connect like to the emotions of, mm-hmm. of like what this experience is like, um, because I think that's that kind of shared experience of saying, hey, I, I battle shame. I have things that I regret. I, I have to take things before the Lord. Um, in the same way that you do. I'm not some superstar Christian because I'm a leader or a teacher. Um, I think that that's exactly the kind of like leadership that we're trying to cultivate in mm-hmm. Teen Pact. And, and we have this whole, you know, leadership structure that we're trying to, 
you know, essentially have disciples training disciples, which is right. beautiful. But it's also, like you said, awesome when it's like somebody that's a peer or just a year or two older, because it, if it feels attainable in a sense where it's like, okay, wait, maybe I've lived my whole life doing the whole mask up thing. And it's like, well, time out. Like maybe you don't have to mask up your brokenness. Maybe you can be vulnerable. You talked about the difference between vulnerability and transparency. And, and when you kind of drove that home, you said something about how um, you can belong and still be broken. Can you kind of describe that? I, I think there's maybe some people that would say, you know, no, if you're a Christian, like God has made you whole. He has healed you. Like you are, you are at once sanctified, made holy, you know, all that. Um, but you're kind of describing how, no, there's still brokenness that we're dealing with. So how do you make sense of that? Yeah, that's great. And so the context from the message, if you didn't hear it, uh, at the very end of Mephibosheth's story, it says, you know, it's got all this beautiful imagery of he's sitting at the table as one of the sons and he never didn't sit at David's table for the rest of his life. And then it like has this kind of inserted almost footnote type line of and he was lame in both of his feet. And it's almost like, whoa, why would you bring that back up if this guy has finally found this place? And so the beauty of the scriptures to even tell us that and show us that. And, and it's it's things like in Galatians, you see Paul frustrated with Peter and saying, hey, the way you're treating Jews is not consistent with the gospel. And I'm like, like this is the dude. Like, this is the yeah. guy that the whole Gentile Pentecost started with. And he's still struggling with how do I see this group of people? Yep. And so, like, there's all these pictures of the people of God continually growing past where they were. So, yeah, the Lord has sanctified you. There's this kind of justification, separating justification, sanctification. He's made you innocent. But then at the same time, he's growing you into the image of the son. And you'll never fully be that until Jesus returns. And, and like, sometimes if you're type A, that's like, like no, I got to accomplish the goal. Uh, one of the churches I worked at, like, the, one of the mission statement was, um, we exist to bring glory to God. And I was like, we'll never accomplish our mission statement. Like, wow. We'll always be working at that. And that will never fully happen until Jesus comes back. But the comfort of knowing that God knows that and he's walking with you in it. And so, yeah, there are going to be some milestone victories that's like, man, I'm really past that. And yet there will always be this thing, you know, like when I read Paul in Philippians and he's like, I've not yet attained. I'm like, man, if that dude hasn't attained, like he's got a camp. Right. <laughs> you yep. know, like, like if he's not got there, I, I'm, I'm not getting there. And so knowing that Jesus walks with us tenderly while we're not there, it's just a real encouragement. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the idea that you can be broken and, and yet still walk with the Lord who is the healer, but that, that brokenness, it might be physically, relationally, emotionally, psychologically, like there, there might be genuine brokenness that you actually walk with for a long time, but that doesn't mean that you're, it, 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 that's not a necessary, um, necessarily like a corollary to you're not you know, um, you're not trusting God enough or you're not saved yeah. if you're still experiencing struggle, if you're still experiencing some sort of ongoing pain. Um, that's something that my pastor has been trying to encourage in me as I, as I preach or care for people is to really understand that people are going through a lot of different kinds of suffering yeah. and our theology and our, and our ministry needs to make sense of the brokenness of this world. And so if we, if we say like we did at national convention that we live after the fall and before the final day, yeah, 
then there's really beautiful ministry that takes place in the, in the work of the gospel, because that that's hope, not just for guilty sinners, but sinners who are dealing with shame, um, people who can be vulnerable about the things they're struggling with that can talk about brokenness in their family. Um, and I think the church, uh, rightfully so, is, is meant to be the place for that to happen. Could you kind of speak to um, kind of the importance of a local church? A lot of our students um, do attend church regularly, um, but what we found is some students, as they transition to their college years, assume that perhaps a college ministry can function, you know, one for one, like a local church, um, or that they never just choose as a young adult to be a part of a local church, be a member, be serving and so forth. And so that's been something that's been a growing burden for our teen pack leadership of saying, Hey, God has designed you to be a part of a local body. And so let's get involved and here's how to do that. But could you kind of speak to the importance of that? You've been pastoring in in Southern California for five years, I believe, and, and, and even pastored before that. So I think you'd be a, a good person to kind of speak to the importance of that and where some of that gospel ministry really takes place. Yeah. So one of the things that's really beautiful in my own experience is that college ministry, campus ministry was such a, it was such a boon for my soul. Um, a lot of leadership was learned there. A lot of deep friendships were learned there. Um, but at the same time, there is a danger. There was a danger for me at least of the Lord of the flies, right? Like you have a bunch of, people the same age trying to organize themselves there's this danger of lack of experience and life um, that makes you think you're out wise in your own eyes and the scriptures would say and that usually leads to death and so not having just this full-bodied picture of the body of christ older younger married unmarried kids without, without kids like there's something about the way the lord puts that tapestry together that lets us see more than what we see that's natural to our own experience. And so the local church for me has been this beautiful picture of walking with and alongside people who their life could be completely different from mine, but the grace of Jesus is so evident, Um, especially even coming off of COVID where, you know, in California, we were distanced much longer than a lot of other places. Yeah, that's right. And thinking about how hard some of the things that we were facing in our culture were and think about if I had been in the room with a brother or sister who maybe was on the other side of the fence for me, but I love them deeply, how it would change, how I would have seen the whole situation because I'd have fresh eyes to see with. And so while campus ministry can provide that on a, on a, on a limited level, it's nothing compared to the level of belonging and, and just, uh, just the sweetness of the full bodied body of Christ when you're with a local church. So it, yeah, it's, it's special. That's incredible. We have a, a young man who's uh, a former Teen Pact intern who's in college right now, and he came back to serve with us at National Convention. And uh, my coworker, Serena Deloglos, was speaking to him about kind of the last year or two and just kind of checking in. And he described how when he joined up with his local church that he's now a member of, um, the first number of months, he didn't feel you know, all the butterflies. He didn't have uh, warm feelings. He didn't have a lot of people reaching out to him and saying, hey, let's grab lunch. You know, I want to hear your story. Um, but he said, I kept going. Mm-hmm. I kept going and I was receiving from from the preaching and engaged in, in the worship. And, and I believe he's now serving with the church. And it was beautiful to see because it's like, well, it even took a little while to get past that 
early stage where, you know, you're in community group with somebody who's just so not like mm-hmm. you and you probably wouldn't choose to just hang out with them, but like God saw fit to bring you guys together and knit you together in this community. And there are things that the body, you know, that God gives us in different ways and we're meant to serve one another. And, and so it was just so refreshing to hear this like 20 year old describe what I think like being committed to a local body was. And I just, I so want to amplify that kind of message to our students because if we were consistently engaged in a local church, uh, I think that kind of ministry for others and for ourselves would be, would be ample. Um, And, and I think there's a benefit that they don't realize that they contribute, right? Like anytime, you know, I'm 40, but anytime I get around college students, there's this zeal and this expectation and this adventurousness in their faith that I'm like, thank you for that. Like I, I'm, you know, I got something to lose now, like, you know, with, with kids and family, right. and all that stuff. Sure. And like they, they got nothing to lose. And so like they live with this Lord said, do it, let's do it. Right? Yeah. And, and recognizing that they embed that in the local church when they're there as well. So it's not all just, okay, you need this, but you are a part of this and contribute to it in a beautiful way. Yeah, absolutely. We had a, somebody this weekend who was applying for our internship for next year to be one of our young leaders. And he was describing how now that he's graduated high school, this is the first time he has really a decision to make about what he does and where he goes and how he spends his time and energy. And he said, I kind of want to give the first fruits of my labor to the Lord. Like if there's a way that I can serve in ministry, whether that's here or somewhere else, let's go. That's awesome. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about where there's like a, a serious passion and when directed to the service of God's kingdom, like, man, God can totally just multiply that effort. Yeah. So good. So one of the things you mentioned, um, quite a bit in your session was this, this Hebrew word hesed or, or loving kindness. Um, could you kind of just describe, you, you, you did a great job of explaining it, I think in the session of like how we don't really have a great English parallel to that. Um, just maybe explain to the listeners what that concept is and we'll kind of spend a few minutes thinking about it. Yeah. So when you read the text that we're in, it uses the word kindness a lot, but it's not just like kindness. Like, like I'm kind to the barista at Starbucks because I don't want them to like get my drink wrong. Yeah, exactly. There's no like enduring commitment to that person. It's just like, if you give me what I want, I'll be kind to you. And so this idea of David's kindness wasn't just, okay, this is an exchange of something. It was like this commitment, uh, particularly because of Jonathan. And so it was like, there's something deeper. There's a love, there's a faithfulness, something enduring, but it also results in this kind of outward expression of being kind. And so when, by, when people were trying to translate from Hebrew to Greek and then ultimately into English as we receive it, there wasn't a really good word. So they like took loving because they're like, okay, it's loving. And they took kindness. And they're like, well, we'll just make it a word, loving kindness. And they just got to hyphenated it and smashed it together. And so it's like trying to capture this idea of it's not just kind, it's not just love. It's not, it's, there's this commitment and it's, it's very rarely attributed to anybody but the Lord. Hmm. And I think that's probably because we don't do it well. <laughs> and so, uh-huh. uh, and so like that, even this, this, there's this category of loving kindness that the Lord kind of has, has cornered the market on, but he's trying to teach us to do. Yeah, that's beautiful. And even what you described earlier about the kind of last part of that passage where it was until the end of his days that Mephibosheth got to sit at the table of the king and so there, like, there was longevity to that. It yeah. wasn't just, hey, you can come have dinner at my place once. It was, like, for the rest of my days, I am committed to you and providing this for you. And and what a reflection of the heart of God when we reflect that that's just, that's a human example of David, a very fallen person, 
the redeemed doing that and showing us that like how much more the father's heart toward us. And, and yeah, like you said, throughout scripture, you get that, that phrase of Hesed that describes that that's, that's how God is toward us. Like mm-hmm. that, that blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, I was reading in Psalm 23 the other day, um, about surely goodness and mercy will, will, you know, chase after me all the days of my life. And it was just this amazing, just moment of devotion with the Lord where I was like, man, that, like God's, God's like pursuit of me just keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps yeah. coming. Like that commitment, um, that drive to be kind to me like that, that, that I can't relate to that. Like, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there's moments with my wife and kids and friends that I struggle to be fully committed to them in the way that I ought to be. That's right. Um, and yet God is that way toward us. So I really love that you spent some time unpacking that and kind of describing David with Mephibosheth, but really then how that shows us the heart of God. And the way you kind of landed on, on the end of the talk was you talked about how there's good news for the enemy of the state. You said, you know, gospel people are people who respond to mercy. And I think that was a really important distinction that there is a response involved. There is a, a good news that's proclaimed um, but that has to be accepted and received. And um, whether that's in, in a one moment, um, justified, regenerate, or, or if that's kind of an also an ongoing, I believe this, but my faith is weak and I'm struggling. I think young people and, and even some of the parents that were there, maybe some of the podcast listeners, we all struggle with living out in the good of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but could you kind of speak to how this idea that there's good news for the enemy of the state. Um, like, I guess maybe it goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning, like in the story, we're Mephibosheth, right? Right. We're the ones that need mercy and kindness, but how do you, maybe to yourself, to your family, to your local church community, how do you remind yourself that that's me? I need that. I need that. I need to live in the good of that. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think a lot of times we have minimized sin to be um, a minor traffic incident on a really clean record. When the reality is that my sin flows out of a heart that wants to say, I'm, I'm a better God than God. Like that's the problem with the garden, right? Like Adam and Eve are literally made in the image of God. And the serpent says to them, hey, if you eat of this fruit, you can become like God. So they're trying in their own power to be something that they've already been granted to be. And so when I see that in the scriptures, I think, man, I could do that. I could be that person. Like I literally am saying, I don't like this kingdom. I want to build my own kingdom. Mm -hmm. And and I didn't share this in my story, but there was a significant ministry moment in my life where um, the Lord pulled me out of ministry for a little bit. And the reason was I was too busy building my own kingdom and not building his trying to build a platform, trying to build fame. This is before social media. So I I don't know what that, I don't remember what that looked like, but I was (laughs) trying to make myself somebody. Sure. And recognizing that can often be the motivation of my heart, even when I'm doing things that are good and people would applaud and say, you're doing it for the kingdom. It's really easy for me to say, yeah, for my kingdom. So knowing that, seeing that, reading the scriptures with that slowness to say, you know what? I am that guy. I am that gal. Um, that has continued to remind me, okay, if I operate as an enemy of the state, then I continue need to, to need the gospel to reorient my heart and say, no, but his kingdom's good and his way is better. 
And then knowing that, how do I respond to that mercy? That's when we get back into the conversation about guilt and shame. Mercy says, okay, I can own that I did it. But mercy also says, and there's a love and a forgiveness for you. That means you don't have to hide from it. That's incredible. Well, as we kind of wrap up here, I just want to again say thank you. You served the thousand people at National Convention so well. Um, there are a lot of people on live stream as well, people that have watched your talk since then. And then now, hopefully some, some Team Pack podcast listeners that have enjoyed um, this session with you. Um, but any last words kind of as we wrap up, um, kind of in that theme of belonging to God? You know, you said something thinking about your ministry and how your pastor is kind of growing you in the way of walking with people in different stages of suffering. And one of the things that's been really helpful for me is John 15, right? So Jesus is talking about abiding, but he starts by saying, those who don't produce fruit, they're going to be cut off. Those who produce fruit, they're going to be pruned, which just means you're also getting cut. So it's everybody getting cut. In this yeah. Scenario. And then he talks about all that. And then he says abide. And it's interesting to me that it's in that order. Like, you will have pain. Um, even when you're being fruitful, there may be some pain. But don't run. Stay with me. Like, be here. And so, like, this sense of Jesus saying, hey, I know that this is going to be tough, but don't run from it. Like, that level of belonging to Jesus. Um, and it speaks a lot to my soul just because of where my life is at right now to be like, okay, I belong to you. Even when it doesn't feel like I belong to you. So don't run. And so I would say the same thing to students, you know, like you've said a couple of times that team pack leaders, you often find they have this shame where they're going through difficult things that though it feels like it's hard right now, don't, don't run. You belong to Jesus. There's no wrath of God for you because Jesus already taken that. So whatever you're going through, he's going to use it to shape you, but stay close to him so we can do that. Thank you for joining us for this special edition of the team Pact podcast. Have any questions about today's episode? Send us an email at communications at teampack.com or you can visit our website for more information about our programs and state classes.